Welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for coming and listening to us today. This is the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where I want you, as always, to avoid the downs and savor the ups. In today's program, we're going to talk about criminal law and an aspect of criminal law that has to do with the very interesting legal analysis of confessions. Yes, they got me. Oh, well, I might as well tell them what happened because I'm going to be going to Sing Sing. Well, I want to start off with a kind of an elementary discussion about confessions. I think most people are familiar by having watched lots of TV and the cop shows and the court shows about something called the Miranda warnings. Long time ago, there was a case in Arizona, Miranda versus Arizona, where Mr. Miranda confessed and ultimately the court threw out his confession because the police didn't tell him several things. And they fashioned what has become ever since then, Miranda warnings. They're warnings about speaking and they must be given to criminal suspects by police uh, who are in custody. They have to be advised of their right to be quiet, to be silent, not to talk, their right to refuse to answer questions and provide information. So the four Miranda warnings are, uh, and I'm sure, again, you could all repeat after me. I'm sure you've heard them. But just in case we got a few out there who haven't exactly heard all of them or we can't bring them to mind right away, there are four basic Miranda warnings. If you are arrested by police, you have the right to remain silent. Your silence cannot be used against you in a court of law. Number two, police must tell you if you're arrested that anything you say can be used against you in a court of law. The third thing they have to tell you is that you have a right to have an attorney. Now, interestingly enough, that's only if your freedom can be taken. For misdemeanor cases, they don't have to tell you that. Most times, misdemeanors, they can't put you in jail. But if misdemeanor offenses and jurisdictions could land you in jail, then you have a right to an attorney. Finally, the fourth Miranda warning is that if you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you by the court. Those are ironclad across the United States, but you can imagine challenges all the time. And like anything else in a courtroom, you never know what's going to happen. So exceptions over time have been carved out. An exception to those Miranda warnings is, number one, that the person, the potential criminal, is unaware that they're speaking to a police officer. Number two, the police questions are necessary for preserving public safety. Number three, the person voluntarily agrees to meet and speak with the police and the conversation is being recorded uh, secretly. So let's get into some cases. Confessions, uh, by the way, yeah, before I get into the cases, I want to explain a little bit more. Confessions carry a great deal of weight with juries when you go in front of a jury, because most people think that 
innocent people don't confess to serious crimes. But there are psychological factors that can be so powerful, they can produce false confessions. I hope that all of you out there have heard about something called the Innocence Project. The Innocence Project goes onto death row uh, jail cells and talks to people and makes a determination that they believe that the individual having been sentenced to death is innocent. And so they take up their case. So the Innocence Project's research says that actually about 25% of suspects who were convicted and later uh, were later proved innocent, typically based on DNA testing, uh, but those people had confessed their guilt. I don't know if uh, this is going to age me, but one of the most famous cases was a Central Park jogger case in 1989, where a woman was badly uh, raped and beaten while jogging in New York's uh, Central Park. The police got confessions from five teenage boys, and the boys were convicted and sentenced to prison, even though their stories varied and the DNA testing failed to link any of them to the attack. Thirteen years later, after these five kids were sitting in jail, uh, a guy by the name of Reyes confessed that he alone attacked the jogger. His confession proved uh, that he was guilty because he provided details only known to the police and the DNA testing matched up for him, uh, semen found at the crime scene. So the innocent teenage boys' convictions were vacated. Um, there's actually been a documentary about the case and a television miniseries that uh, took place back in 2019. Miniseries, I think, was called When They See Us. Okay, let's get to the cases. Case number one involves uh, a guy by the name of Rogers in Virginia a few years back. He was charged with obtaining money by fraudulent means. Tisk tisk, Rogers. Come on, what's the matter? What's the matter with you, man? He got the Miranda warning. Uh, he voluntarily agreed to talk to the police and denied any fraudulent conduct. The police then told him that they were going to arrest his wife and bring her to the station for questioning. Rogers told the police that his wife was pregnant and very ill and had been instructed by her doctor to remain in bed as much as possible, of course, to protect the health and welfare of the as-yet-unborn little baby. The police told Rogers that that was his problem, that they were going to arrest the wife unless he confessed. They told him that the health of his wife and his kid is up to you. So this brings into question about the confession, whether a confession is voluntary. After the break, I'm going to come back and tell you about Mr. Rogers. A New York case, a woman by the name of Sarah was arrested for armed robbery, and she confessed after receiving her Miranda warnings. The defense evidence showed that Sarah was intellectually disabled, that she had a mental age of about nine, and she also suffered from attention deficit disorder and depression. So now we're looking at the potential of a concern about the voluntariness, voluntariness, I'm saying that right, voluntariness of her confession. A third case involves a woman by the name of Rose in Texas. Police have uh, arrested Rose for embezzlement from a bank where she had been working. So the police hoped to find out how she carried out the scheme, and they asked the bank manager to come in down to the jail and, and talk to her. 
So Rose tells the bank manager all the details of what she did and how she did it. And then the prosecutor, of course, wanted to offer that into evidence to, to prove that Rose was responsible for this embezzlement. Now, the next and final case I want to talk about is that of Bruno, who was in Georgia. He confessed also to an armed robbery while in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. At the time he confessed, he was in pain from injuries that he had suffered when he was being captured. Guess he didn't want to go uh, quietly. And he was under the effects of tranquilizers he had ingested just prior to the robbery. He also passed out in the ambulance a number of times during the interrogation. Now, before I get to the break, which is coming up in just a moment, in these sessions, these shows that I do on criminal uh, cases, I want to amuse you a little bit because these things truly are beyond imagination. So I want to talk about a case that was decided a few years back, believe it or not, uh, just a few years ago in Ohio. The group of teenage uh, boys, um, with the help, I should say, of a teenage boy, uh, nearly a dozen farm animals uh, and an unspecified number of dogs were molested, sexually assaulted. Mm, wow. Matthew, age 33, Mark, age 35, and Terry, age 41, were all sentenced to prison in April uh, of a couple years back for what the police and the press called their bizarre brand of animal husbandry. These individuals uh, did have one thing in common, though. Uh, all the victims were female animals. Woo. Okay, well, um, New Jersey woman, again, a few years ago, uh, gave a new meaning to what we have heard is the expression hot and bothered. So she uh, was called uh, by a gentleman to her home, to his home, I should say, at 4 a.m. He called her up and said, uh, Miss Russell, I'm not going to use her first name, uh, Miss Russell, uh, come on over. I, I'd like you to be here for what a lot of people call a booty call. So this New Jersey woman, Miss Russell, shows up at his house, and, uh, well, during the booty call, he falls asleep. She didn't take real kindly to that, so um, she burned his house down. Uh, it's helpful to know, as you're imagining this, uh, know, uh, uh, there, there's nothing like a woman scorned, right, um, that he did escape through the window and the authorities got there in time to uh, rescue his dog. Uh, the woman, Miss Russell, was arrested, and uh, she was charged with attempted murder. We're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back and tell you about those four cases. Do you want people to know what you're doing? Then you can tell them, or you can put up a sign, or... Lots of different ways to communicate to the world what's going on and what you're doing. Uh, in the world of crime, maybe it's not such a great idea. This guy is speeding through Florida, uh, draws the attention of the cops who pull him over. And in the back seat 
of the guy's car, very clearly visible to the police officer who pulls this guy over for speeding, is a huge, huge knapsack with a piece of paper attached to it that says, bag full of drugs. Okay, then. Ah, criminals. Hmm. Going to the clink. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. I'm back. I hope you missed me. I hope you were longing for me to come back and get to the bottom of these terrible, terrible criminal cases so that you can put your head on the pillow tonight and know that there's truth and justice in the world and that the police never do anything wrong. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Where have you been? Under a rock? Okay. Well, you know, I think for the most part, the police, most of them in the country are pretty good. And most of them are good citizens trying to do their job and protect and defend. But let's not ever be uh let's 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 not ever be stupid. The police aren't perfect. Sometimes they're intentionally not perfect and sometimes accidentally. So we're gonna get back to the conversation about confessions. Confessions. I first talked about Mr. Rogers at the top of the show. He confessed, uh, and just to get right to it, the confession. Uh, was not admissible in evidence. You remember Mr. Rogers. This was a question about the voluntariness of his confession. He's a guy who had uh, obtained money by fraudulent means. Um, The police interrogated him and threatened to arrest and bring in and question his ill and pregnant wife. In this case, the court ruled that his confession was not voluntary particularly because the police lacked probable cause to arrest his wife and threatened to arrest her only to coerce him into talking. No good for the police. 
Now, did the police know this? Maybe. I think many of us get lulled into what the law really is when, uh, when we watch these TV crime shows and these TV court shows. Maybe many of you are familiar with the concept that the police can lie. Well, yes, they can, but they can't threaten the way they did here with Rogers. I want to get to Sarah, the young lady, uh, young lady, the woman who was determined to have a mental age of nine. She was determined to be intellectually disabled in New York, armed robbery, Sarah. Her confession was deemed voluntary and upheld in the court despite her mental disability. Go figure. Okay, well, you know what? I think nine-year-olds, some of them, are mature enough to understand the difference between right and wrong and the difference between a lie and the truth. That's the way the court decided it up in New York. So the entire discussion here about voluntariness, like everything else in the law, is going to be fact-dependent. What I'm trying to do here is give you perspective so that at the end, when I finish with all these cases, I'm going to give you, hopefully, a little bit of advice. Perspective, advice. Remember I talked about Rose at the beginning? This was the the woman who worked at the bank, and the police got the manager to come in and uh, tell the manager what happened. So that was a confession. This was in Texas. We know, I told you at the top of the show, and you probably know this, the police are required to give Miranda warnings. But what about security guards? Okay. What about a bank manager? The, the recent uh, last decade or so, uh, there has been an explosion of private security guards. Uh, they're not government employees. They're private. So do the Miranda rules uh, apply to security guards? Um, the question is here for the bank manager and juxtaposing this with the security guard The bank manager was considered in this case to be an agent of the police. The police put him in there for the specific purpose of finding out what Rose did. On the other hand, security guards, again private, Miranda rules generally do not apply to them. So because the bank manager here was acting as a police agent, he needed to advise Rose of her Miranda rights before interviewing her. And because he didn't, the statements were admitted into evidence. Private individuals can sometimes be police agents for purposes of Miranda. Courts have held private individuals to the same Miranda standards as police officers if the individuals are acting in concert with the police. Let's go back to Bruno down in Georgia. Armed robber um, situation. He confessed in the ambulance after he was being arrested, and uh, I think the expression is tossed a little bit, perhaps, by the police. Um, Well, so what happens when someone is so drunk that they give a confession? Very little, actually. Defendants often ask judges to rule that their confessions were not voluntary on the grounds that they were drunk or high on drugs or had some mental limitation uh, when they confessed. But unless the defendant was practically unconscious at the time of confessing, 
judges usually decide that these confessions are voluntary, uh, despite the existence of factors that might otherwise, to the average person, suggest that uh, an opposite uh, conclusion would be reached. So for Bruno, his confession was determined to not be voluntary, thrown out. He was eventually convicted, however, without the confession. The court determined in that case that his physical condition was so impaired that he was legally incapable of confessing voluntarily. You remember this is the guy who passed out several times, actually, in the ambulance ride. So how does intoxication or mental limitation affect voluntariness? Um, it, it doesn't, really. Again, unless, uh, unless we can establish that, or the defendant can establish that they were, again, like in certain circumstances, almost unconscious. I want to talk just a little bit about the whole spectrum of confessions. Confessions, we know sometimes they're beat out of criminals or, or, or alleged criminals. And again, if you go back to the, um, to the very first statistics that I talked about uh, at the beginning where... Um, the group, the Innocence Project, uh, has done studies. 25% of confessions have been found to be not accurate. The, people, the people that confessed were doing it for any number of reasons. Confessions are good ways to put criminals behind jail, behind bars in jail. But I want to share with you the very basic understanding of Miranda. If you are absolutely one million percent innocent and you can instantly prove it, okay, go for it. Tell the cops what happened instantly. So you're in a restaurant and five blocks down the road, someone, you know, burglarized or, or robbed some building or apartment or business or something, and you walk out of the restaurant and the cops pick you up because you look like the alleged criminal. Right then and there, you need to bring the cops into the restaurant and have the, the waiter or the waitress say, no, this guy's been sitting here for the last three hours. That's an example where certainly you want to go ahead and talk. But if there's anything at all that in your mind suggests to you that, you know, maybe I want to keep my mouth shut then that's the way to go. If you don't have an immediate alibi, if you don't have immediate 1 million percent truth, proof of the truth, my recommendation is just keep quiet. It could be problematic. You might have to go get a lawyer. You might have to spend a night in jail. You might be embarrassed. You might lose your job, but it's a heck of a lot better than being browbeaten by police if the police are of that cadre of that character and finding yourself railroaded into a conviction. On the other hand, if you're guilty as hell, you do have the right to a lawyer. And in certain circumstances, there can be mitigating factors that will reduce your punishment. No matter what happens, again, having been a former criminal defense lawyer for about five years in the beginning of my law practice, I can't tell you how many times my cards were already turned up on the table because my client 
had just spilled his or her guts and there was just really nothing you can do. In some situations, however, even guilty people do get off. And I think the criminal justice system is a system that prefers that, uh, what is that expression, Uh, 10 guilty people go free before even one innocent person is convicted. I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast session, the show here today. I'd love for you to give me a review if you can do that. Listen in next time, be safe, savor the ups, and avoid the downs, the merry-go-round, the legal merry-go-round. Thanks for listening to the legal merry-go-round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations. Thank you.